Investing in your business can be a wonderful way to grow wealth and live the life you want. That's what I'm doing. But investing in someone else's business can be even better. In my opinion, this is the best way to generate true passive income streams. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including the Global Cashflow Kings ETF, ticker symbol CFLO, which lets you invest in 200 companies with high levels of free cash flow, such as Visa and Costco, in one ETF. You can learn more about CFLO and the BetaShares fund range by visiting betashares.com.au. Read the PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Australian Business Podcast. I'm Daniel Golubev. I'm Jordan Kittis. I'm Owen Rask. We're here to help you make more profit, find work-life balance, save time, capital, and grow your business. Every week, we drop the best tax tips, marketing hacks, growth strategies, and methods to help you grow. If you haven't already, take the free Rask Business Course. Book a chat with me or Daniel at Grayspace. Or get in contact with us about business coaching. We also love hearing from you. So send us your questions and feedback using the resources found in the podcast player for each episode. Let's get into it. Daniel, welcome to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I missed the uh, Christmas hat memo. Yeah, it's all happening. Final (laughs) final, uh, Australian Business Podcast uh, that we'll be doing live and answering questions for 2023, so why not? But we do have a full lineup for folks uh, over the Christmas and New Year's period. We have a heap to cover over the Christian New Year's period. If you're getting some time away from work, if you're taking some time just to reflect on the year and strategize for your head, we have two episodes coming at you for exactly that. We reflect on the year that ha- was and all the lessons we've learned, 23 of them in fact, and looking forward into 2024, what you can do better. And what we say when we say that, we mean make more profit in 2024. Uh, So those two episodes are coming at you between the break. And then in January, we have a huge lineup of episodes. Um, These are going to be very different episodes in the sense that they're going to be a kind of, they're going to be like a monologue where all three of us are going to take a turn at various topics in business and share those with you and the community um, to basically help you get a shortcut to, I don't know, maybe it's accounting, maybe it's cash flow, maybe it's marketing, maybe it's ads, maybe it's building a community, all that stuff we will cover in the new year. And so if you're joining us live now for the Australian Business Podcast, you can ask questions by using the chat function. We'll go for about half an hour today uh, and wish you a Merry Christmas. But we do have some questions sent in advance. And the reason why we're going to stick to around about half an hour is because Daniel here and myself, we've actually got to run to a bit of a team event. So Daniel's going to um, go and uh, go go-karting, I believe. And I am uh, just catching up with the team virtually today because we've already had our uh, Christmas party. There was a question sent in on this uh, from Double Cobras. Um, and Double Crowbar effectively said, I know that by the time this episode goes live, uh, I probably would have had my Christmas party, but just a general gist is what Double Cobra was asking. It doesn't seem to be black and white. So um, 
are Christmas parties tax deductible? Are there resources that people can refer to, like business owners, Daniel? Yeah, listen, it's 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 very much a, a grey area, um, and I don't think it will ever will be black and white. Um, so in terms of resources, yeah, absolutely. The, the ATO have fantastic sort of little articles, examples. Um, you know, when it comes to resources, the ATO, their website generally has some really, really cool stuff mm. and some really good examples that are quite relevant a lot of the time. Um, so in terms of resources, great person to sort of great area to reach out to and your accountant as well. It's a fantastic question sort of for them. In terms of is it deductible or not, there's just a few things that you need to consider. Um you know, they could be roughly on sort of when is it Christmas party held? Is it on a working day during working hours on a business premises? Is it off-site? Is it alcohol involved? Is it not alcohol involved? Is it mm. just sustenance from a sort of, you know, call it nibbles and soft drinks, waters and stuff like that, coffees, teas, whatever it may be. Are there associates invited? So sort of non-employees. So there's, there's quite a few things that need to be considered to sort of mm. know whether it's deductible or not. Um, the best person to probably talk to is probably your accountant leading up to it, especially if it's a significant sort of expense. But the two things that you're more or less looking for is, one, whether it's subject to fringe benefits tax as an entertainment expense, and if it's not, and more or less the value of it as well. So you also got to look at um, sort of if it's, I think the rule's about $300 per person. Um, if it's under that component, it's generally not subject to FBT at that point in time. But again, get your specifics for your specific scenario from your accountant. Yeah. They'll know your situation the best and they'll be able to advise the best because there is no black and white answer to this, unfortunately. Yeah, anyone that runs a business who thinks that you can just go and tap the business card for a staff party, be very careful with this. Um I'm not an accountant, but I've read the documentation on the ATO website and I've got to tell you that uh, you just got to be very careful about what's included, what's not. Obviously, the ATO knows if you're going to go and buy 20 Jack Daniels, um, that that's probably not work-related uh, in any sense of the word. So yeah. um, go and uh, go and speak to your accountant probably in advance. Maybe there's a way you can structure it. Maybe there's a way, some things you can do that might be more reasonable in the eyes of the ATO. So get that one-on-one advice. It's a good question though, because everyone's hosting parties and they think, well, it's for the team. How does it work? Like, what can I do? What's reasonable? What's not? Um, Get the advice from your accountant. Thank you, Double Cobra, who sent that in via the My Millennial Money community as well. So a shout out to everyone at My Millennial Money. Um, Okay, so we've got two questions um, that are very similar. I might group them together Daniel, because mm-hmm. um, yeah. this is something that you and I have been talking about and Jordan a bit lately. Um, so I'm going to keep the uh, the e-commerce one to last. But the first one came in from Cam who said, what are the pros and cons of setting up a holding company to hold and protect assets and keep them out of our personal name? Old mate Kiyosaki, that's Robert Kiyosaki for those of you playing at home, reckons it's the way forward. What are the mechanics of this? Can it be done in Australia? And should it be set up prior to investing in assets for the business or after? Now, we did have another question that came through via IG from Ross, uh, Instagram that is. Uh, Ross, please try and send your questions into the link that says um, ask a question in the podcast player. So if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google, there's a link that says ask a question. That's the easiest way to get a question directly to us. Otherwise, it has to come through our customer support teams. 
So please send it through that link and select the Australian Business Podcast. We answer questions every week. Uh, but this is a wonderful question as well. Uh, Ross said, hey, guys, loving the podcast. I have a question for your Q&A segments. My wife and I are working towards financial independence. We want to start an earthworks or civil construction company. Then we want to generate enough income to start a childcare business and hopefully build from there. My question is around the setup of these businesses. I like the idea of a trust, which is a beneficiary of the above companies, and an investment company, which is the beneficiary of the trust. But I want the trust to be able to pay us a wage in retirement and have the potential to be something we can pass to our kids and continue in the family. How would you set it up? What should it look like? Sorry again for the long-winded question, and thanks again, legends. Love your work, Ross. Ross, it's not a long-winded question, and it is a fantastic one, and it couldn't have come at a better time because Daniel, Jordan, and I are in the process of setting one up for ourselves because we are starting a new coaching um, and accelerator program in 2024, and so we want to have a trading company, and then we want to have holding company and we want to have trust most likely underneath that so rather than um try and do this ad hoc myself i'll throw it over to the accountant daniel is this common is this normal how do you set it up what things should people consider yeah so there's a couple points to sort of consider from question one um i'm going to start off because we get this sort of question a lot and it's more in relation to getting recommendations from our called it influencer cowboys like the Kiyosaki <laughs> and the, the Grant Cardones who likes to ride off private jets. Um, what we need to remember is we operate in a completely different jurisdiction to they do. Yep. The US tax and commercial market is very different to the Australian one. So be very, very careful in sort of taking their advice, you know, word for word and exactly how they sort of relay it. Especially um, on the tax rules as well. Yes, but completely different, right? So we we, we operate different policies from, you know, banking from commercial to lending to tax to deductibilities. The whole the whole dynamic is different. Um, if you're going to sort of listen and follow to these people that use their ideologies and translate it to your jurisdiction and what's relevant to you. Um, alternatively, probably my recommendation would be probably listen to some, you know, self-made Australians, you know, Mark Burroughs, Naomi Simpson, Janine Ellis, like they've done amazing things in our landscape and they've probably got far better recommendations than, you know, the, the Kiyosakis and the Greg Cardones when it comes to legal structures and along mm. those lines, right? But the ideologies, yeah, definitely can follow them, but get it translated by a professional for you. So yep, that's probably absolutely. the first thing because you'd be surprised how many people go, oh, Kiyosaki said I should do this, I want to do this, exactly how he said it. So, oh. Well, did you know it. the Did you know the Kiyosaki book was ghostwritten? I oh, know we spoke about it, and it was Grant Cardone that outed him for it as well. <laughs> um, so funny we bring that up. But, you know, back, back to answer the question, um, sort of the first one was sort of like the pros and cons of a holdings company. If I'm being very honest with you, there's no real cons to it, right? Worst case scenario, it's it's set up and not utilized to its full potential, but it's there. Um, Daniel, can you explain what a holding company is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if anyone's sort of interested in structuring or most business owners have some type of structure, even if it's just a trading company and them individual shareholders, right? What a holding company is, it sits at shareholder level. So it's not operating. It doesn't have, you know, many assets usually built up into it. The only assets it holds are shares to private companies. 
that's where the value of a holdings company lays. And what all sort of the, the benefit of the holdings company and sort of where we sort of utilize it is when someone wants to use it in a group nature. So if you want to set up a group um, of mm. different companies that operate different things, different businesses and different operations that are sort of operating, because you want to start separating risk as well. You know, let's say you've got three, call it um, ventures that you're focusing on. One could be service, one could be product, and one could be, call it, um, renting something out. Call it, right, they hold assets and the equipment's being hired out, for example. So three completely different businesses. Our recommendation is always hold each business separately, right, purely from a risk component. You don't want a risk from a completely unrelated business affecting the performance of a separate business could be operating really, really well. So even from management reporting, like you want to be able to say what's profitable, what's not profitable, where do we invest your time and money into, where that can just park and sit. So there's many benefits of splitting businesses as a whole. What the holdings company does, it actually creates an extra layer one of security because it's a company that owns a shareholding of the other businesses, I mean, that we can easily sort of dissolve some of the non-unsuccessful businesses. Um, secondly, we can also have, you know, if it's multiple people involved, a single entity where people are buying into, if that makes sense, and that's where the value lays. So the holding company itself, all it generally does is hold shares and receive dividends. That's generally it's only two functions. Right, it might hold some funds. So if you pay some dividends down, and it might store money as a whole. If you don't want some of your trading entities holding too much sort of cash or you know money in the bank from a risk point of view, then that can be then reloaned or reset up using other businesses. Really effective vehicle to store, which is why it's called holding. All it does is hold things. Hence the name. Um, so I hope that answers sort of like what it does in terms of. The negatives behind it, um, there's only rule one, like there's a one-off setup fee, which generally isn't too expensive, and just an ongoing ASIC fee. And, you know, most most companies, the ASIC fees are $300, just under now, but I, I do expect it to go up to about 300 mark, you know, over the next couple of years anyway. But again, immaterial, and we're talking, you know, 20 to $50 differences mm. annually. Um, and then if there's dividends and operations coming down, there might be some accounting fees for it. But if it's dormant and not being utilised, then there generally shouldn't be at that point in time. So in terms of negatives, there aren't really any, if you want my honest opinion. Um, mm. Positives are huge, uh, in my opinion, because I think it's a, a central hub for risk. It's a central hub to, you know, distribute dividends down, to hold them in an entity, reload them to other places, Um like, mm. like I said, we recommend it, we use it, we're going to use it as well. Um, mm. It's a very effective tax planning tool um, as well because you can just park profits there. Um, there's certain rules that you can utilise and um, essentially try and avoid some top-up tax on it as well because um, investment entities aren't generally considered base rate entities, so their tax rates are slightly different. So a base rate entity, if you're sort of an operating business which most small businesses are, you're paying at 25% at the moment. Um, for investment entities, where it's just passive income, it's generally 30%. Um, mm. But if you play cards right, set it up properly, speak to your accountant, you may even be able to utilise 
that lower tax rate. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna show something on my screen for people yeah. that are watching live. And if you have any questions, just chop it in the chat. Or if you're listening to this, I'll try and explain it as we go, just as I so I can confirm that we kind of have a rough idea. Obviously, everyone's situation is different. But I'm going to imagine, Daniel, that I have a holding company, uh, a trading company, I'll call it T on the chart here. Yeah. Now, this company is owned by a company which we'll just call H or holding company, right? So the right. shares are held by H in T. Now, T has the, the business. So um, I don't know if that's a, that looks like a, a house, but it's trying to be a right. business. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Squiggle. <laughs> it's alive and well, people. Um, so a trading company does all the trading. It does all the business. In the case of an earthworks business, it might own or lease the excavator and the truck, for example. So mm -hmm. that means that that is kind of the thing that appears on people's invoices when they use that company and so on. When that company makes a profit, it can pass the money back to the holding company effectively, uh, and the cash can be held in the holding company. But the benefit of this is if you have the holding company then you can start another thing. And let's say the next thing is a childcare center or a whatever. This is another uh, holding company. We'll call it T2. So that's mm -hmm. another trading, uh, sorry, another trading company, not a holding trading, company. Yeah. And that's another company that then has its own services. So in effect, the, the two trading companies, T1 that does the earth moving and whatever, and T2 that does childcare are not related. They're not like both invoicing the same way. They're not sharing money but the holding company owns them. So whoever owns the shares in the holding company effectively owns or contr like controls the money from those businesses. But then there's another layer here where you can have a family trust, right? And this is where people will, you should really get expert advice on all of this, but definitely here. And this is where the shares in the holding company can be held in a family trust or in multiple family trusts if there are different shareholders. Mm -hmm. uh, and the whole idea is that if, for example, the excavating business doesn't work and you think that's oh, a shit business, you can sell that and get rid of it. Or if it does really well, you can pass profits back to the holding company and start another business and then another business and then so on. And the idea of a trust, correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, you can effectively have multiple beneficiaries of that. So individual shareholders that benefit from that. And then maybe there will be tax implications there. So um, speak to your accountant. But that's the yeah. general gist, right? Just that yes. is a yeah. Spot on, spot on. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure we all are aware of that because I know you do recommend it for a lot of clients that are very entrepreneurial mm -hmm. and indeed we're looking at setting up something like this for you, me and Jordan um, yep. because we're going to business together. And we will, we will be covering this type of thing in the new uh, coaching program, the Accelerator. We will be covering this if you are interested in learning more about this. Um, so there was a question that just came through from Martin and he says, so in this instance with the trading company, does the company pay the tax and H just holds the money? When does H pay the tax? Okay, so that's a very good question. So yes, the trading company is what pays the tax, right? So in order to pay a dividend, we need to have paid some tax and have some franking credits available, which franking credits are you know tax paid by the entity that's distributing the dividends at tax their credits. tax rate right? The tax credits. When that dividend is then paid down to H, mm -hmm. right? That's when H has generated income. And that income that's been generated is dividends received. The same way you might receive them from, you know, investments you hold on the ASX if you get paid, if they're dividend bearing, right? The same concept applies. But H is now paying tax on those dividends. 
But with franking credits, obviously, a portion of them. And if in the perfect scenario, they offset all the tax at that point in time. So H, um, there's, there's you know, proper terminology on it, and I wish I knew off the top of my head. Um, I don't. But if there's, there's a certain ruling, and as long as you follow the ruling, H can actually have the same tax rate as T. Hmm. meaning there's no top-up tax. There's no additional tax that H has to pay because there's franking credits or tax credits that have already been paid on its behalf by T, which is where it becomes that really effective tool where you can take money out of T and park it into H with no tax effect. And the tax effect then lays when H pays that dividend down to its shareholder called the family trust. And that family trust must distribute those funds to beneficially entitled individuals. That's where the tax component comes in or the potential top-up tax component comes in, mm-hmm. right? The perfect world, H does not pay tax. It usually has franking credits offsetting any tax liabilities. This would be like, um, I don't know, for those of you that aren't familiar, there are holding companies on the ASX effectively, like listed investment companies and that sort of stuff, if people are familiar similar in a way that they mm-hmm. effectively earn money from other businesses operating and then they collect franking credits because they re- they're getting the dividends that have franking credits attached. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I like it. I like it. Yeah. That's it. That's a So just for anyone that's uh, not aware, so like if you're a if you're a side hustler and you're a graphic designer and you are turning over 20 grand a year, probably not the thing that you're interested in. Yeah. But if you're a really entrepreneurial person or persons as a group of you, very strongly encourage you to go and speak to your accountant about this setup. Like Daniel said, it might cost you a few thousand dollars to set it up and there are the annual fees of like ASIC and blah, 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 blah. But think about it. Uh, think yeah, well, about st- it. well, strategy plays a big part in this, right, which is why there's um, what we do as well, it's called um, structure advice meetings. Right, where we sit down and we go through the, the details, the nitty gritties. Because if we're, like you said, if we're talking about you know any you know twenty to thirty thousand dollar profit business, there's no real point to be honest. We're talking about higher scale where you know we're potentially turning over large sums of money. There's employees involved. There's assets involved. Um, scaling's involved. There's, and, risk. Know, there's risk as well, right? Because the bigger operations, yes, your profits and, and your returns are really good, but your, your risks increase with that. Um, so that's where having a professional oversee your operation as a whole, like for example, Ross, leading closer to setting up that civil construction business, I would be sitting down before anything, before you start actioning anything and having a bit of a structure advice meeting Definitely. with a professional to plan it out because you've already got like almost a, a strategy or a, a goal that you've set with timeframes and exactly what you want, which is generally a couple of steps ahead most people at that point in time already, which is fantastic. And what that actually does, it helps the professional tailor a structure that's beneficial for you because it sounds like there might be a need for different trusts involved if they're buying different, you know, properties and assets. And, the, for example, like the, the wedding venue business, like the way Which I would structure that, yeah. I would I would have a property in one entity and the opera the the actual operation of the higher and different entity. So, you, so if you like, were starting a wedding venue business, you'd have the the wedding venue business and the property in two different entities. 
separate it. You're running a business out of the high and the operations of it. Like you've got to factor in that, you know, if there's any type of negligence, you haven't fixed a, a floorboard or the screw in it, someone falls and hurts themselves, there's, there's claim. You know, your insurances aren't to date. Like there's, there's claim, there's risk. And would you put your property as collateral against that risk? I wouldn't. Yeah. That's your asset. So there's certain things at play. So that's why having a professional come in and sort of have a look as a whole, go through the strategy planning with you and give you some custom advice, I think it's going to be really, really useful. Um, I think part of that, sorry, part of the first question was um, I think really important to note on as well is should it be set up prior to investing in assets or after? Structuring is probably the most important thing to do before you start anything because you may not have the funds now to be able to, you know, let's say do an extravagant structure, but without a plan towards it, it could cost you tens of thousands of dollars after the fact. I always sell it as an insurance policy. It's like one of those things, set it up, spend a little bit extra now, pay a premium or the premium equivalent upfront and set yourself up because the tax consequences of something with value and then you'll set, there's a way it is, you're selling shares. If you want to sell it to a different entity at a later time, which is what? Capital gains tax. Spot on. So at that point in time, it's like, well, would you rather spend, call it, you know, I want to say two or 5000 whatever sort of however extravagant you want to go, call it $2,000 now, or would you rather spend $10,000 in five years' time? Yeah. Well, I know what I would do. I'd, I'd rather set it up, up, up properly. If I don't use it, I don't use it. It is what it is. But I, I actually did that. So I set it up. I over-engineered in the first instance, mm. and then I closed one of them about a year and a half later because I had like five different entities, and I was like, yeah. like too much. But you can it, close. But that's right. You can close them. You can dominate. I know some people even buy them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the other yeah, thing that was in that, that second question, which was about the earth mm. moving and stuff. Yes. That As soon as someone says earth moving and land, like excavators and trucks, I just think liability. Like I think you di- dial before you dig and you don't dial and you dig and you hit something and something bad happens. You, you're yeah. probably going to use a lot of debt because those trucks are hundreds of thousands of dollars that – excavators are 100 grand brand new plus you're going to use a lot of leverage and while it may be a great business in the boom time it can be a horrible business in the bad times civil is high risk high reward that is the best way to describe civil and sometimes it's um maybe good sometimes maybe not um yeah Yeah, absolutely and so again yet another reason Another reason to have the structure. structure to protect yourself. Like you're on the right point. Structure to protect yourself in that scenario as well. Separate your assets, separate your liabilities. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so we've got a little bit of time because we did say half an hour. Thank you to Marco and Martin for shooting in uh, in the comments while we are live. There is uh, one other question, which I'm going to paraphrase because it was actually quite long. Um, and it was a wonderful question. It's right down the um, – kind of straight in the middle, the bullseye for what Grayspace does a lot of, not everything, but a lot of, uh, which is e-commerce. And they say, it's from Mr. Imposter Syndrome. Hi, guys. I have wanted to send in a question for the longest time, but with a growing business and two young kids and he says it, needy wife, and then in brackets, that was a joke if this makes it the podcast, honey. Uh, I haven't been able to until now. I'm addicted to all of your content and unashamedly was a little starstruck when I spoke to Jordan a little while back. You'll like that. For context, my e-commerce business is about 16 months old and on track to do 500K in revenue in year two, which is pretty huge, pretty quick to get to that. That's awesome. You did 180K in year one. 
I have been hamstrung with my best sellers being out of stock throughout, in particular for the Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So I've left a fair bit on the table, unfortunately. Now, he goes on to say that he knows his profit margin, thanks to uh, the team at Grayspace, and he knows the uh, the gross profits and the net profit margin, pays himself a salary of 120K, uh, and he thinks the real profit would be a bit higher because he's leaving some in the bank. Now, he's at a crossroads, uh, Daniel. He is thinking, well... Uh, margins are all right, but I may need to move into a commercial space, which may be 30 grand a year. I may need to employ someone because the business is starting to get ahead of itself. It's 30K a year, he estimates, in casual costs, plus associated on costs. By my quick calcs, he says, that would eat up all my company profit. So I'm not sure what value there would be in overextending myself, but maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. I do have a clear path to reducing my cost of goods sold by purchasing container loads and increasing my revenue through ad spend. Um, but finding an extra, you know, 200k to buy a container would be a challenge. So my question is, do I have the potential for a real business, or have I just created a decent paying job for myself? Is there a methodical way to approach this? So you deal with a lot of e-commerce businesses that go through this. I've had a few people come through coaching that are in a similar situation where they want to take the next step. Their garage is full of stock, and they're looking for strategies. Thoughts. Number one, your figures are great for considering your situation and how sort of short your time in business has been, which is that 16-month component. You're still a baby. Um, unbelievable results. And I think after there's, a, there's some sort of other fun and nerdy stats, which I really enjoyed, um, there's a conversion rate of 5%, customer acquisition cost of $1, average order value of $110, and a repeat customer rate of 30%, which they, they're fantastic Oh, they're huge. That's like they're, Imagine having a customer acquisition cost of a dollar. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. So your stats are fantastic. So in terms of um, do you have the potential for a real business? Yeah, yeah, I, I think 100%. Um, I think where – I don't know if I know this person or not. <laughs> they definitely sort of going through it. So maybe someone that Jordan – nothing sort of rings mm. on any bells in my head. Um, but this, this is – this is a question. Where do you, where, how do you make the decision to expand? And they seem to have, in my opinion, they seem to have got all their numbers. They know the numbers. Mm-hmm. They, they mentioned more stuff than I put on there. Um, they've, uh, they've got a prof, a business that seems to be growing, selling out, so that they are capacity constrained. Is there a way to de-risk it? I would maybe say. If the next part is the capital risk, what can you do for that? Like that's where they're most fearful. Mm-hmm. I would say to build a capital buffer. It's pretty simple. I would use the cash flow, the positive cash flow you have now to start building enough money so that if you do drop 30K on a business premise and it goes horribly wrong or casual, it's just it's just like a, a punch in the guts. You'll recover. It will hurt, but you can move on. But if you do that too soon, you're risking too much for the reward. That would be my two cents. Yeah. This is, I think, a lot of people get stuck in this component, right? Because at the very beginning, we do everything ourselves. At the very start, for all businesses, it is you've, you've got a job and you've got to, your job is to build this business up. So I think Mr. Imposter Syndrome is now at that perfect crossroad of what do I do next? Um, and this is the perfect time to do those strategy sessions. You know, we, we say it all the time. Strategy goal setting is so important for a business because now you need to work out what you want, right? Do you want the security of being able to make, you know, call 150, 160,000 
a year comfortably under the local no bosses, no one telling you what to do under the similar constraints? Do you want to maintain or do you want to grow? Because mm. with growth does come a little bit of sacrifice. Absolutely. Right? So in the first two years, there's to take 120,000, I think you've got room to potentially reduce. Obviously, I don't know your personal situation, so I don't know if you can take less than 120,000. But from a reinvestment point of view, it's not you taking less or earning less, it's you reinvesting those funds back into the business, which is what you were talking about is increasing the capital buffer, right? But don't do it willy-nilly. Don't just do it for the sake of doing it. Have a plan towards it. Understand how much you might have to give up or how much you might have to even deposit into your business to be able to cover some additional expenses. And you also need to work out and, and sort of understand that you said your commercial space is 30000 and your casual is about 30000 So you're increasing your expenses by about 60000 You need to factor in. You don't pay all that at once. That's not all taken at the start. It's That's broken up over 12 months. And you are generating revenue and profits as you are continuously paying this as well. So it's not – you can't see it as exactly coming out of your account as is now. Right? You need to factor in that there's – with the increased space and the additional help, that your capacity increases. Therefore, your turnover should increase and therefore your profits should also increase. So it shouldn't cost you that exact amount. So it's not like you're mm. going to cop $60,000 straight away. So you need to factor that in as well. From what I see here, and the first thing that sort of comes to my brain is based on that sort of question, I don't know what you want. And I don't know if you've worked out what you want just yet either. Um, do I think you're looking at it the wrong way? I think slightly. I think this is a classic example of sort of analysis paralysis where all the figures are there but it's sort of no real strategy or direction, um, which you is know, really, really important. One of the reasons for that is probably that they're trying to do it all at once. Yes. Is that they haven't done that strategy session. Yeah. Uh, I remember walking out to the backyard the other night thinking, geez, the grass is long after this rain and I've got to do it and I kept putting it off because there was so much to do. The grass was so long. So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to just mow half of it today um, and I'm just going to do that for today and then tomorrow I'll come back and do another bit and then another bit. And I think like if you're trying to hire someone, mm. we all know, we can all vouch for how hard it is to hire someone, find the right person, train them up and get them to a productive level. So maybe you could do that first. Maybe that's the lower risk of the options and start to get a bit of, okay, awareness of what it means to hire someone and processes you need to put in place. Because if you do get the commercial space, you're probably going to want to hire another person after that because you probably have enough room for more people. So mm. get used to that feeling, train yourself up like that. Uh, sure, they might be working out of your garage, but at least you go through the things like work cover. You go through the things like setting up zero, paying someone, uh, super. Like you get all of that skill and knowledge. That might be the first thing. And then just keep kind of picking one challenge at a time. Jeff Bezos always talked about this with Amazon in the early days. You, you come across this really hard problem it's so easy to get analysis paralysis. The only way to solve it is to just pull one thread and see what happens. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't do that without having a strategy session with them and saying, well, in a year from now, do you want more stress and more money? Or do you want the same amount of money, maybe a little bit more, but less stress? That's a that's yeah. a really good one. So I'd yeah. say start there. Um, and self-promotion, join the waitlist for our accelerated program because we're hoping to match people like you, Mr. Imposter Syndrome, with other people in e-commerce. So one of the things we're going to do in our accelerator program is we're going to match people in our community together so that they can work together on problems. And that's going to be a huge unlock in terms of 
learning from other people in the community who will do exactly the same thing or similar things, but maybe in a different vertical. Yep. Uh, and that's what we want to do. We want to have a collective wisdom. Yeah. Daniel, I know you got to, you got to go, you're going to go, go karting with the team. It's going to be heaps of fun. Um, mate, it's been a huge year. We've got over 10,000 uh, business owners and would be business owners that listen to the show. We've enrolled four and a half thousand people in the free business course. Heaps of people have taken up an offer to go and uh, get a business health check from Grayspace and become clients. I know there's heaps of you that are on the wait list for the RASC coaching. It is coming. That's what we're evolving in January. So you will hear more about that as well as a way to join in January. We're super excited about 2024. We've had hundreds of thousands of downloads on the podcast this year, and it's really only the first year. So we've got a huge, huge, huge summer ahead for you. Uh, thank you to Marco, who almost seems to join us every week, Marco. Well done. And Martin, who tuned in today. Uh, we do these things very ad hoc, but we will be back in 2024. We've got some episodes coming at you this coming week on the year that was and the year that will be. And then in January, we're starting with the summer series on how you can optimize your business for more profit in the year ahead. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you more, working with you and learning from you in 2023. So, um you and Jordan. Thanks so much for, for helping me and the RAS team educate more Aussies on business and doing it right. Really appreciate it. No, likewise, mate. Um, we've learned a lot, a lot from you and your community as well. So it's been, a, it's been a fun journey. It's been great sort of getting to know everyone and sort of experience things um, along the way. And we've had a ball doing it. And I think that's sort of the most important thing from our part as well. I think the highlight for me was at the Brisbane event when someone thought you guys were the security and um, when you were handing out the wristbands and welcoming everyone, they're like, are you guys security? <laughs> yeah, it was, like, why are they interviewing the security guys? <laughs> um, no, it's yeah, no, it's good fun. I should have asked for his ID. And <laughs> what kind of business are you running? What's your structure? Um, yeah. Mate, it's been a huge year, so thank you so much. And uh, Merry Christmas, Martin, and everyone that listens and tunes in every week. We just so appreciate it. We've had more so than any other podcast in RAS history, the Australian Business Podcast has received more like enthusiasm from people wanting more and more episodes. So we will be bringing you more in 2024, helping you optimize your business. And thank you for your support. Thank you to everyone that subscribes and shares it with friends or shares it in the My Millennial Money community or wherever you are. It makes the, the world a difference to us um, to know that you support us and you've come and meet with us on the road. Mate, once again, thank you. Thanks for tuning in, Marco. Uh, thanks for tuning in, Martin, and everyone else. Uh, it's been a wonderful day, and Merry Christmas to everyone. Thanks, mate. Merry Christmas, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC Education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.